Paul, to put it very generally, is a YouTuber and commentator. However, to get a bit of a, let's say, comprehensive bio, uh, I'm just going to read out his uh, YouTube channel uh, bio as an introduction to this episode. It starts off by saying, uh, make centrism great again. Uh, so you, I guess you need a, not a mega, but like a- Mecca, yeah. Mecca. Well, I want to do make mecca. enlightened centrism great again. So mecca was that, sorry? be- Make enlightened centrism great again uh, would be the would be the mecca one to, to give me a vol that I can make a slogan out of. But that, that could be for now. Make centrism idea. great again. Yeah, we'll be good. Yeah, yeah. For now, that could be a, a much idea. Um, yeah. And then you state on this channel, I upload videos that can more or less be described as cultural and political analysis. Just as importantly, I talk about my experiences as a person and how they inform my beliefs and most importantly, my actions. Pause. Just a. A comment there that's something i i love about your channel i think you uh you always connect let's say so-called abstract theory into your own personal life mm -hmm. and i think that's quite important uh, especially given that we are embodied physical beings and we aren't just ideas uh yes. so i just want to put that out there i really appreciate that you do that uh even in the wash debate uh you did talk about your experience with jordan peterson which i'm hoping we could discuss uh today mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll continue. Um, I believe the best way to resist ideological extremism is by offering a better path forward through multidisciplinary majoritarianism. I'd be keen to kind of flesh out what that term means. Sure. Um, this is a multifaceted attempt to reaffirm the beliefs that I think the Southern majority of people still hold, a desire for unity, individualism, and common sense reforms of our decaying cultural and political institutions. I reached out to Paul uh, asking if he'd want to do a follow-up episode after his debate with Vosh. Um, and uh, the floor is yours, uh, Paul. Just yeah, well, you missed, the, you missed the last line of my YouTube bio. The last line, let me... Let me... There's a line that you missed at the end. I copied across... Uh... Oh, is this the part about you being a comedian for <laughs> Purposes. For legal purposes, everything and I do is I comedy. Certainly, I certainly have to read that out. Um, for legal yes. purposes, this is a comedy channel. Or, That's right. Or should I say, for legal purposes, Paul is a comedian. Exactly. So everything I do is satire. Seriously, it's just jokes. Yes. To any people who may be offended or current or future employees, everything I do is comedy. So <laughs> Yeah, because you know, uh, you now use your real name, isn't it? The last time we spoke, you went by P.F. Young. I didn't, I didn't even call you Paul. I was just calling you P.F. Young, I think. Oh. Yeah, I think early, early on, when I first uploaded the videos, I just used my real name. I mean, I'm Paul. And, um, mm. I've said my last name before. I just, I just generally don't say it to add one more step in case anyone wants to dox me and send dead animals to my family. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I made a conscious decision. I didn't want to. P.F. Young is a channel name. And people can call me P.F. Young, but I, you know, I always introduce myself as Paul. And it's actually interesting because um, usually uh, I do this, Paul P.F. There, that's how I usually have my uh, label well, on my message or oh. in Zoom. No, I changed it. My Little name at the bottom, Paul. Uh, oh, Paul in parentheses, also known as. Ah, gotcha. Exactly. There we go. yeah, because yeah. to your point about like, I talk about my experiences. I am a real person here, and I don't like 
<laughs> the idea of like I'm, you know, I'm PF Young and I'm some sort of character that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not behind the camera, right? And, and uh so yeah, so that's there's a, there's a conscious element of that. I would I would I would just go by my full name if I, you know, wasn't worried about crazy people constantly trying to ruin everyone's life, but it just one added yeah. an interesting thing. Especially when when you're on the internet, man, and you I know I mean, the other thing is uh you're not a guy, I don't know, that does let's say, well, I'm going to assume this innocuous tech reviews or, or something that's like, I don't know, lifestyle blogs. You in fact talk yeah, about it's, politics. I talk about controversial topics, stuff. So it's quite controversial. So I, right, certainly right. good to take some measures. Uh, but yeah, as I said, the floor's yours. Uh, Paul, just, uh, I appreciate like a stream of consciousness. Just what are your thoughts on the watch debate? Sure. Well, it was interesting. So I went into that debate prepared for a wide range of potential outcomes. I did not know if Vosh was going to come out saying Jordan Peterson's a Nazi. And so is this guy. And he was just going to start throwing dirt from the beginning. That was a potentiality. So I had to mentally prepare, like, I got to get ready to do that. Um, you know, I've watched plenty of Vosh's videos for like years. So I knew, I knew what he believed. Well, I knew what part of him believed. I knew what part of him professed on his videos. And I knew that, you know, I, at his best, he's a very different person from who he is at his worst, right? Which, you know, Perhaps I think most of you us. could say that you could say that for everyone, but for him, and when you have an online persona, I think that's amplified mm. that spread between who you really are and the character or the persona you play. Um, so... Yeah, I, you know, I didn't know how it was going to go. So I had to prepare for a wide range of outcomes. And I'm not gonna lie. I, and I said this in the my reflection, I was very nervous in the first couple minutes, my heart was beating, like, to the point where I was like, I might have to turn off the camera and mm. take a lap or something, because I might have a panic attack. Um, which was interesting. I knew I'd be nervous. But, you know, it just I guess when you're in the moment, it, it, it's different. And there was a strange element of, you know, I watch Vosh again for years and I see him on the camera talking. And then it was kind of a weird feeling for a minute where it's like, he's responding to exactly, I'm on the camera next to him and he's responding to what I'm saying. So it's like, it was, it was, a, it was, you have the virtual screen and then I was somehow engaged with it in a way that I wasn't before, even though it was the exact same format that I consume it in. So it was a very interesting, it was just an interesting, uh, feeling and perception um but overall you know i came in my goal it was i didn't know what i had to approach this whole thing carefully because on the one hand one could argue what's the point of even engaging with someone like vosh right there's the very cynical like okay it'd be you know i've watched him for a while and i want to argue with him about the stuff he said you know he's got a big audience it's nice to get that exposure there's like those cynical reasons but the, the reason of like, and not, I don't mean cynical as in that's, those are non-factors. Those are just less than the, it's, it's ultimately more than about that. Um, you know, it's like, do I come in with a bunch of quotes prepared to like pin him down and say, you said these things and I can create a bunch of clippable moments of all the dumb, you know, of, of me pulling up a quote directly at contradiction with what he said. Like, for example, I don't know how much you watch Vosh or the people watching. Watch oh, I, I, you know, just, just to, I guess, 
just to clarify, I am sure. very much on Bosch's side politically. And I pretty interesting. much what? Yeah, That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I, I that's so anyway, funny. The way to label myself probably would be well, I'd probably call myself a Christian socialist, but I think really okay. realistically, I'm a libertarian socialist. So politically, wow, I'm very much on Bosch's side, that's... except probably the, the trans stuff, uh, and some of his, I think, unwarranted criticisms of conservatives. But mm-hmm. politically, I'm very much on his side. Yeah, so you don't think that all conservatives are the equivalent of Ku Klux Klan? Uh, absolutely not, mate. I can okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. You're politically yeah. <laughs> from like a specific, like from a policy prescription on certain things. That makes sense. I mean, I would agree with him a lot in, yeah. on certain policies. Um, okay, so so yeah, so you know, so you know his drama with Shoe on Head. Oh yes. Okay. Shoe on uh, Head. Full disclosure, yeah, I ahead. didn't follow the drama. I know it was a huge thing, okay, uh, you okay. know, uh, but I didn't follow that bit. I, I, what I normally yeah. do is when there's some, when, when especially given that I live in Australia and, you know, it's hard to mm-hmm. keep up with what's going on in in your country, man, because yeah, sure. bloody hell, man. Bro, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> it's never here. ending. It's never ending. What, 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 like, you know, it's like, uh, I think I, I already told you this, but when America, uh, uh, yeah, sneezes the whole world gets a cold so whatever happens in america just yeah. kind of spreads sure. across especially the western mm-hmm. world uh but whenever something breaks break, let's say there's like a, a news item or something happens in america i generally go to like bosch uh, i generally go to let's say uh david packman so i'm i'm, I'm gonna be totally upfront with you i'm, I'm very biased i i normally mm-hmm. go to leftist channels because it's so interesting i would not have gathered that from at least our last conversation and but but you know it just it speaks to people are different and have different perspectives and, and we can still yeah, have a I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, this is where I, I really appreciate conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many, many issues, I'm agnostic. Uh, however, I'd say when it comes to politics and especially economics, I'm pretty much a socialist, almost a socialist or, or, or to put it lightly, like a social democrat. And part of that sure. is probably because I live in Australia where Look, man, like over here, uh, the, the the political parties. So we've got the uh, we've got Labour and the Liberals. So the Liberals are a right wing party. Yeah. Uh, they're you know they're quite they kind of have similar prescriptions in general. Like no one, if a politician comes here and says, let's you know let's get rid of uh, Medicare, which is a public healthcare service. Yep, that's no good. my mistake. You know, they're, they're you have never, mandatory voting happened. in Australia, right? What was that? Don't you have mandatory voting? We do, yes. Uh, I mean, look, okay. some people just pay the fine. It's like a small amount. Uh, but I think that's a good thing, uh, honestly. Like, even though I am quite cynical about democracy, uh, and that's just my personal prejudice, uh, mm-hmm. I do think it's a good thing. I think, I think. oh, Peterson talks about this, that it's, uh, in fact, like a civic duty if, if you're a part mm-hmm. of the country. Uh, sure. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't mean to yeah. derail the conversation. Well, yeah, so I, this is, well, yeah. I'll tie, so back to shoe on head. So for people who are not aware or kind of aware shoe on head is an online influencer she's like a central she's a bernie she's like a female bernie bro in the most stereotypical <laughs> sense right um she's like socialist but she's got some i would say common sense perspectives on when it comes to culture she broke or was a had a big hand in bringing the balenciaga scandal to light oh, yeah. the whole thing about the, the the children in the photo shoot with the very questionable to questionable yeah. to put it lightly that was that was uh, oh man stuff Right. So she brought that to light and rightfully called it out as creepy, weird BS. Yeah. And 
of course, on the far, far left, there's a small minority of people who say uh, that is like somehow bigoted to call out BDSM stuff with children because there's a whole history of like queer, extreme queer, like kink type stuff is a form of revolutionary engagement with the world or some shit. There's some intellectual rationalization for why leather fetishism around children is somehow, you know, this morally sophisticated belief. And shoe on head, oh. like most people said, yeah, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and a big chunk of the left got upset with shoe on head and a big chunk of Vosh's audience got upset with shoe on head. So Vosh came out with this whole criticism of shoe on head saying, basically shoe, you um, gave fodder to far right activists to be transphobic and, and bigoted and all this stuff. But we're still friends because they're friends in, in, in real life. So what I could have done in that debate is I and I had and I was prepared to do this if it got to the point where mud was being slung back and forth. But I was I was like, I'm not going to go in trying to instigate that. I was I could you know, I could have said something effective. Hey, you know how you just labeled Jordan Peterson a fascist for these reasons? Explain to me right now. And I would just read off a quote. You said shoe on head is literally feeding fodder to far right homophobes, uh, you know, and, and feeding into conspiracy. How does that not make Shuan Head a fascist, but Jordan Peterson is a fascist? And that, you know, there's all the drama of a big chunk of his audience doesn't like Shuan Head for the reasons we just described, because they think she's doing far-right reactionary stuff somehow. They unironically refer to Shuan Head a fascist. So the point of all that is, had it gone south, I would have been prepared, but I didn't want it to go south. I wanted to bring out the best in Vosh. That was my goal was, let me be as honest and authentic as possible, say what I believe to be true, and ask and, and talk to Vosh the person rather than the persona that has all these ideas that are, you know, intellectually interesting and questionable. Um, and I wanted to get to the person. So what so what ended up happening is I ended up just kind of going with the flow of the conversation a bit more than I think I would have liked to on 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 reflection because I would have liked to have have engaged directly with some of his critiques about, for example, moral anti-realism. We had that discussion about well, what do you mean by evil? And I knew what he wanted to get into in that level of conversation, but I again, I was kind of interested in sticking with the well, look, we can have a discussion about what we mean by evil, but we're going to end up on this. We're going to both agree that the Nazis were evil. So like, let's just the conversation I want to have is more about why do you call conservatives KKK members? And do you understand how that makes people feel and stuff like that versus just engaging at the purely intellectual level of here's why I don't think or, you know, here, here's morality and stuff. It would have been an interesting conversation though, because moral realism versus moral anti-realism is interesting. Um, you know, one thing that factored into the whole debate was a lot of my friends were watching the debate live and, you know, they're not people who are really interested in these topics or, you know, some of them would barely even know who Jordan Peterson is or even Karl Marx or anything like that. So there was a part of me that's like, I all, I want to speak to someone who doesn't have, who's not who doesn't even know what moral realism or anti-realism is, right? Which is most people, because most people have actual jobs and lives to live, and they don't have all this free time to obsess about philosophy and stuff, which that's a, that's a cynical way of looking at things. Oftentimes, there are, that, that, what I just described is a subset of people. Arguably, philosophy is the most important thing because it, you know, we're, we're all nested in philosophy. Mm. But, but when it's just like, well, let's, 
what is evil? Like to the average person, it's just like, what, what kind of conversation is this? What do you mean? What, what, it's like the Nazis were evil. Can we, can we just start there and, and move forward? So, you know, I, I was sort of like, let, you know, let me, let me have the conversation that's more relevant here, which is, Vosh, do you understand why calling con- conservatives KKK members is not good, right? Independent of all this intellectual stuff. Um, so there was that. The other thing I would have liked to have gone into is the cultural Marxism bit. And um, I, I, you know, that, again, that would have been the same thing. We're going to go deep into the intellectual stuff and, you know, how relevant that is for people watching, how, how many minds would be changed that way. I'm not sure, you know. My perspective is you don't change people's minds by logic. You change people's minds by embodying um, authentic behavior, right? And that's what I was trying to do. I'm not coming in to dunk. I'm not coming in to beat you on the intellectual grounds. I'm coming in to articulate what my problem is with you, Vosh. Mm. And Mm. honestly, and and give credit where credit is due because I know, because like, and I've seen him give good advice and he's a real person and he's not this one dimensional troll demon as jordan peterson would say right so and it's funny because i was talking to some people and their opinion is no vosh is like straight up evil and like he's a bad faith bad person and i was like that's so simplistic and Mm -hmm. you're getting a narrow view you're taking him at his worst which is bad and using that to to him at his worst is him all the time and and i I've just from watching him over the years know that that's not the case, and it's funny because you mentioned you you said you you agree with Vosh a lot. It's like this is my point. I have a friend who's a big fan of Vosh from from college, and uh, and the idea is like if you who in my opinion I don't know you you know well at all really, but from the conversations we've had, more than reasonable person you know we could we I could easily see me you know hanging out with you and whatnot. Oh, for sure, if man. If you Melbourne, let's have a beer. Bro. Yeah, it, well, there you go. But I, like, I, shall, I shall introduce you to something called a chicken parma. And okay, you sure. want to change. A Melbourne specialty? It is. It is. Well, I think it's an Australian thing, but uh, but in Melbourne, it's huge. And you, you I, I'm sure I'm going to convert you to fully, fully to an Australian. You're going to you're gonna sure. denounce your American citizenship. That's fair. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll yeah, take sorry. It. So anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. Well, my, my point is yeah. how I... I don't like you are not someone who I think would I like would be a fan of someone who was genuinely evil or like a genuinely bad person. Right. Like if you were a fan of who's like a like David Duke, you would be you would have a different personality. Right. Mm. This interaction would not be going the way that it is. I mean, you you can not to say that, you know, far right people can't be polite and can't hide their beliefs. But like, you know, it's just the nature of it. Like if you really believe some people were superior to others, then we wouldn't be having this conversation as equals almost right so my my that's a roundabout way of saying i wanted to bring out the best i wanted to speak to the best part of vosh and i wanted to bring the best part of myself and i and i was prepared to kind of go nuclear if need be but that wasn't my goal and i think part of the reason the debate didn't go as didn't dig into the topics i would have liked to is partly because it was just that navigating that split the first 20 minutes i'm like i don't know how this is going to go right and when i settled in then it was kind of like well we're having more it's almost like we're having more of a conversation of an exchange and to force the the debate into one topic or another then becomes a little unnatural and that's that's not me being as authentic as i could otherwise be 
But now that I've established some rapport with Vosh, if there's an opportunity to speak again, you know, we could have, I would love to um, go into, for example, like cultural Marxism specifically and just have a whole debate about that. And the last thing I'll say, it's interesting, when it came to the trans issues, I said specifically, anyone watching this, I'm willing to have a debate where we can pull up the studies in advance, send me one quality study that demonstrates the efficacy of medical transition in children. There are none. The reason I said I'm confident they don't exist is because I am confident they don't exist. And it's funny because that debate has 200,000 views or something. And I know for a fact there's a lot of Vosh orbiters and, and, and people who, if those studies existed, would be glad to take me up on that debate. And I've heard nothing yet so far because it, it doesn't exist. And so, um, you know, that, so the, the points that I wanted to make or felt were important to make were made at least from my perspective. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's my initial reflection and kind of on a pass through, I guess. Yeah. Well, two, two points. Uh, the first thing is I think, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, um, I mean this sincerely, I'm not trying to like uh, flatter you or anything. Um, <laughs> sure. Or, I wouldn't mind if you were though, but yeah, yeah. But no, but you know, like sometimes flattering can be insincere, right? Yes. I nice feel things you. for yeah. the sake of saying nice things. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the because you started off by kind of let's say uh, with, with the caveat or the proviso that you in fact have personally been helped by Jordan Peterson that you in fact just leaving aside his politics just uh, applying practically applying uh, let's say his his uh, psychological prescriptions or his self help prescriptions have helped your life that instantly built like a bridge, like a human bridge between Vosh and yourself. I'm, I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, nah, that means you both are sure. just on the same page. In fact, look, yeah, uh, this sure. is where, again, you and I may disagree. I don't believe one can be a centrist. And I'll, I'll get into that a bit later. Sure. It's okay. A very theoretical, there's a very theoretical reason for that. Uh, and I get it sure. from Slavo Zizek, uh, who I happen to be a big fan of. Like, I'd consider myself essentially Zizek here. Zizek here? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, the second point is, so I I, I do want to give you credit for that. Um, I am not a big fan of debates, mate, to be honest. I generally, after a political debate, I come off feeling dispirited, feeling a bit cynical, feeling like both both sides were just either, uh, you know, throwing mud at each other or just purely talking past each other. But this, for the first time after this debate, I I, I felt good just leaving aside all the intellectualism i was like that was a good conversation like this mm. this guy paul who is, is someone i like i enjoy his videos and then there's this guy Vosh, who i watch quite a lot now and politically we we align quite a lot and i feel like there was a dialogue going and correct me if i'm wrong didn't even wash wash say that towards the end of it that he in fact appreciated the conversation yeah yeah the um it's funny i didn't know this until afterward you know we the debate ended and then Vosh was still streaming on his side. And I found, you know, as soon as the debate ended, he said something like, um, I actually really did enjoy talking to Paul. Um, you know, he's a real guy, you know, obviously he's, and he said what you said, he, you know, Paul said up front, he's emotionally invested in these issues, mm. um, but he wasn't lying about it, which is like, a, you know, a step above all the, I think he said giggling frenetic, liars that he normally argues with who you know misrepresent their views and all that stuff um and yeah and it's funny so the first to the, to the point about building a bridge kind of at the beginning acknowledging my biases it's almost like 
from my perspective, the bar is so fucking, forgive my French, the bar is so fucking low online where just being honest, like, hey, the reason I spend all this time talking about topic X, Y, and Z is because it is personally, in, you know, not just interesting, but impactful to me in these ways. And for me, it's like, you know, I went to therapy and so I can, I made that connection explicit of the topics I talk about versus why I, you know, how it affects, how it relates to me as a person. But it's, it seems like just second nature almost of like, you know, that like in most political debates, well, people wouldn't do that. You know, they wouldn't say out front, like, Hey, I'm biased. And, whatever. and I don't know, maybe certainly the online politics space, there's just a lot of people who are probably, and no names or anything, but probably a good chunk of them are narcissistic and only care about the money and care about the attention and could, you know, would just as avidly argue for one side of the political spectrum as they would another. And so that's, I think I totally understand when it's like, I watch a political debate and it's just like, okay, this was pointless. Um, but, you know, I, I just, my thought is like, okay, if my parents or my friends or my family, or if they watch my video, would they think like, this is a different person than who Paul is in real life, then I failed somehow. It's, it's a form of lie, right? You know, and there, there's obviously nuance in like, you know, I'm not going to have a conversation exactly as I do in private as I would if I know, uh, you know, 8,000 people are watching live and 200,000 people are going to see it. But for the most part, you know, if I'm careful and conscious, I can have a pretty open, honest conversation. And so, yeah, I think the biggest issue online, and it's funny because we're in a generation where this is a challenge for us that other generations haven't faced before is exactly how do you navigate the online persona versus who you really are, right? And some people do it by, you know, some people say like, I don't want to talk about my private life. Like they're academics or, or, or people who do like video essays who are like, I'm a private person. I don't like talking about my life at all. I just like talking about the ideas. And that's fine, but that's limited, I think in a significant degree, because how do I know, I don't know your motivations, right? You're just a disembodied voice that does a video essay. I don't know anything about why you're doing it and how often I think it's important when you're evaluating the merits of like a political idea, you need to understand the motivations of the person supporting those ideas, right? So like for a mathematic, you know, someone teaching you calculus doesn't matter if they're a sociopath or not. The math is the math. What they say can translate one-to-one. -one. There's no band, there's no bandwidth loss because they're a bad person. But when it comes to like political or psycho psychological or philosophical ideas, it's the opposite. It's like you have to, it's all about the character, the philosophical temperament of the person putting forward the idea. So I'm always trying to operate at the level of, I am here, not just on a screen talking about ideas. I'm a person, you know, in a real life context coming into you in this moment. But to, to, to view it anything other than that, I think is dangerous and uninteresting and ineffective. If that makes sense. No, I see what you're saying. I think I mostly agree. Um, however, a part of me also, so you made the point previously that most people aren't interested in theory and philosophy. Uh, yes. and, and I happen to be one of those weird guys that just likes reading philosophy. And, Same. You yes, know, me and too. I've got, kinda, yeah. I've got Ian McGilchrist, Master's in oh, Science. Right it's, it's, it's a, a thick book. book. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, this I, is, I went most it. people, in, it, perfectly intelligent people would go, that's kind of, 
nerdy and whatever, and I'm not going to take it that any particular interest in it. And that, that's perfectly acceptable. That's exactly how I feel about like quantum physics, right? I'm not really that interested in theoretical physics. Maybe eventually I will be because it appears to be merging with religion and psychedelics, but you know, that's a separate thing. Yeah. But, well, I mean, that's where yeah. philosophy comes in. Uh, so the, the idea of like, like one, one, well, there are many definitions of philosophy, but one definition I like is what Veiki points out. You take all these different disciplines. So you, be it cognitive science or quantum physics or, or sociology for God's sake. And you try to bridge and find connections between them, which mm -hmm. is where I think an eclectic kind of thinker, again, uh, one of my heroes, Zizek, does where he connects all these different uh his his kind of like his magnum opus. I don't know if you can see it. Let me let me get it in fact. Sure. Uh, I I'm slowly going through it. It's it's his book on Hegel. Uh it's called Less Than Nothing by Zizek. It's just look at that. It's a big boy. I'm I'm still going through this. And like in this book, he takes there's a chapter where he connects uh, uh quantum physics with this Hegelian idea of of he calls it the incompleteness of reality. Uh, and some people would find that bizarre because he also brings up, uh, you know, like pop culture movies like Batman and Harry Potter while also bringing up sure. quantum physics. So it's, it's very interesting. Sure. But, the, yeah, but, yeah. but then I do think, and here's where maybe I sort of disagree with you, uh, Paul. Sure. Is I still think it's important to focus on theory because I think thinking is quite necessary. And what I mean, so just just to clarify that when I'm saying it's important to focus on theory, I'm not saying, oh, that means one is indifferent to it or apathetic to it. It's impossible. You know, I I I I don't think you could just be interested in theory without, in fact, being a a, a an embodied being with a life with with motivations, emotions, sure. and and all the. Uh, uh, it's kind of like what Nietzsche said. He, you know, Nietzsche famously said that. Uh, uh, every philosophy is the biography of the philosopher. So for Nietzsche, mm -hmm. uh, philosophy doesn't just exist abstractly out there, which is why yeah. he's like the proto. That's like William James' philosophical temperaments, right? Like Interesting. I, 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 I'm not familiar with familiar with. Yeah, that. that's 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 you know there are different different personalities project different philosophies. So like a super uh, left-brained, to put it simply, kind of like engineer type person will have a very analytic. Jeremy Bentham, uh, I think it's rationalist philosophy. It's just pure abstract. And then there's the more um, empiricist side, rationalism versus empiricism is his dichotomy, where it's like in the world, sensory type stuff versus at the abstract. So it's different philosophical personalities, temperaments. So that seems to line up with Nietzsche's claim that you just made. Oh, yeah, certainly. And, you know, he, it's funny, um, Heidegger in one of his lectures on Aristotle famously said, uh, Aristotle was a man that was born. He philosophized and he died. That's all that matters. Nothing else about Arist Aristotle matters. And and I think what Heidegger was trying to do there was, in, in fact, say, forget about getting too kind of obsessed and building this kind of cult cult persona or Aristotle or whoever. Just focus on the theory. Just that's it. Theory itself. Nothing, nothing more. Nothing less. Um, and I, I, the reason I say that that's still important is because, okay, this is a bit hard for me to articulate, but I'm going to try my best. Yeah, so please. please bear with me, Paul. Uh, I think we we are making a mistake in contemporary society where we medicalize and psychologize everything. So that even, mm -hmm. even a human being is reduced to, like you said, a dichotomy. Machine, between, yeah. 
yeah, the left left brain or right brain. And mm. and I see the I see the temptation to do that because like you know I'm a software engineer. That's my day job, and I love uh, I love thinking analytically, uh, and I love thinking in like a very uh, systematic way. Let's say. However, I, the more I've I've got into more deeper philosophy, like Lacan, for instance, like Lacan believes, for instance, that an authentic person doesn't exist. So Lacan talks about this idea of, uh, he says that the way we form our desires is not, but is not by what we authentically want. But in fact, the other, he calls it the other, tells us what to desire. And someone like Zizek connects that to consumerism and, you know, commodity fetishism and sure, all that. That sounds but, like uh, René Girard Mimesis too, which is interesting. I, I'm, I'm not familiar. Let me, I, I'm only just that. getting introduced into Girard, but yeah, René Girard Mimesis, M-I-M-E-S-I-S. That's the whole, all of our desires are just other desires. Other desires. How do I? How do we I desire what other people desire. How do I, how do I spell that? M- René Girard, G-I-R. No, G- Gerard, no, I, I got I got René Gerard, but the, the yeah mimesis m i m e s i s mimesis, m- and then gotcha yeah so which is different from mimetic, the Richard Dawkins idea, which is m because it's there's mimetic Gerard, from yeah. the Girardian yeah so there's so there's mimetic from the Girardian point of view then there's mimetic from the Richard Dawkins point of view which is like the word meme came from that meme mimesis in the Girardian point of view is different subtle distinction but but no but the, this is this is case in point here's what I mean so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I I do think it's important that we in fact sit down and think like we so so Zizek yeah. has this really good line he he and Zizek is a as a communist right so he's a leftist he's a radical leftist and he says yes you know what I would like is the day the the, the revolution in v for one letter what happens after the revolution? You know, yes. uh, that's my with terrible, a couple with a couple in there. Too, that's yeah. my terrible Zizek impression. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah. point he's trying to make is, and 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 he's this is why I like him because he's as a leftist, he's cha- he's challenging the left and he's asking, hey, okay, the revolution's great. It's the romantic feeling. Let's overthrow the uh, system. But what happens the day after? And here's where he says theory and philosophy matters, where we don't. We don't say that. Oh, let's just explain everything everything via psychology. Oh, let, let, let's let's explain everything via a neuroscience, a, co- a cognitive science. Let's let's sit and think. And he even connects that to this uh, idea called "I would prefer not to." What he, what he means by that is sometimes the the greatest act of let's say uh, subversion of the system is in fact not taking part in the system. It's saying mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to buy that thing. I'm not going to buy the next generation of the iPhone or whatever and not buy, not let the, the desire of the other affect my own desire, even though, again, not to get too technical, but Lacan would say that's impossible, that we are always desiring. Like what it means to be human is in yeah. fact to desire, sure. which I right. think I agree. Uh, and and now maybe, uh, Paul, if you don't mind, I could connect this to my, my point about fascism. So after listening to the debate for the, well, I, I kind of got this the first time, but I, I re-listened to it. Here's where I think where Walsh was coming from, and I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, for for Walsh, a fascist, where he defined fascism wasn't, he was being purely theoretical about it. As in, he wasn't trying to say a fascist is an evil person. 
He was he was trying to be so the, the the way I put it is that he was trying to get rid of the moral baggage of what fascism is sure. and purely define it as a let's say a social structure, as as a theoretical social social structure as a, as a phenomena in society as to how fascism comes to comes to be, uh, which is why he used uh, uh, Umberto Eco's uh, list, which I think is a pretty good list to be honest. Even though I kind of come, I take my definition of fascism more from Hannah Arendt's. Uh, book because i think she yeah. is a lot more uh comprehensive and then what he, what he was trying to say is you know we we think of and you know you probably would agree with this because jordan peterson talks about this um you think of a fascist as some crazy uh you know forgive me for being a bit racist but like german speaking guy you know this crazy yeah. guy that was a pretty good uh that yeah. was a pretty good uh you even did that in the debate didn't you with yeah the yeah, yeah. The fake I, was, german. I thought you were actually speaking german i know i know it's pretty it good was gibberish. pretty good um yeah. and, and and you think that this angry guy who who, who looks like you know the, the devil himself but no, it's in fact fascism is a a social phenomena. It's 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 something that's rather banal, in fact. And all of us can can be, be fascist if we have yeah. a certain way of thinking, which is why I think it's important to to study the phenomena as a sociologist should, and then try and lay down some kind of theory for it. Because if we don't have theory, then everything we leave to the whims of let's say emotion or psychology or we or we overtly spiritualize it which is another thing another element of fascism so again just to reiterate i'm sorry if i'm uh you know being a bit loquacious no. the, the the what i think what Walsh was trying to put forward is that yes of course he certainly hates conservatives you could see it vehemently but he's also trying to state that hey uh you know Fascism isn't something that was unique to the 20th century. It wasn't something that was just like this once in a moment thing in human history. It's in fact a recurring social phenomena, which we can study theoretically, historically. And it, it's it's in fact rather naive and dangerous to think that, oh, it was those people that were the fascists. It was those crazy Germans uh, or the crazy Italians. It was in, but the social phenomena in the structure of society can emerge anytime and he believes and to a certain extent i believe this too that there's a uh there's a kind of a let's say a a, a resurrection or or there's a an, an, an another form of fascism that's coming into our society right now mm-hmm. uh you know case in point uh the ccp the chinese communist party i think they're in fact a, a i think china is very much a fascist state uh, sure, sure. So, um, Canada um, seems to be going that way a little bit too. Uh, well, yes, uh, I know that Peterson's been fighting a lot about that, but yeah, but, but you see the point, right? Yes, because you think you know Canada, all liberal democracy, right? Uh, but yeah, it can still emerge. Uh, but anyway, yeah, does, does that make sense? Sorry, I was trying, yeah, to no, that all makes sense, and it's interesting, Clear. yes. So, I so, um, well, I got a couple things. So, first off. I absolutely understand and agree with the idea that fascism is not just as some mystical abstract idea. It, it, it can reemerge and is reemerging in many ways. That, and maybe, and again, there, this, this was partly a consequence of what conversation I was trying to have rather than not, ha- well, 
I didn't, the conversation didn't go the way that, it, you know, we might have right now because it was a debate with, a, you know, there was all those other factors to consider. And I was, again, more interested in having the meta conversation about Vosch's conversation rather than on the topic itself. So what I would say is the idea that fascism is something that could reemerge is like, that's the central idea of Jordan Peterson's work, right? I'm going to teach you how to, that I'm going to teach you that you could, that you would have been an Auschwitz prison guard had the same circumstances um, arisen in time. Every, every one of us contains within us the capacity for evil. The moment you say those people are uniquely bad, you are now exactly the kind of person who would do bad thing, you know, the worst type of things, because you have no idea how you have, you have no understanding of your own capability of evil. And therefore you have no way of preventing yourself from being tempted in, into that. So I, I believe that the, and I did say this more, I think I said this, I said, fascism means bad person. And I meant in that the average person, that's what that means, right? Nazi means bad person to the average person, right? Nazi just, Nazi doesn't mean a national socialist person from 1940s who was interested in the, 20, the 15 point Nazi plan that Hitler laid out in 1933. Nazi just means Nazi equals bad. And it's an archetype. Yeah, right? can I interrupt you for a bit there? Sorry, I, I know you were kind of going on a point there. But yeah, no, go ahead. This is where I think Vosch, in fact, makes a good point because, you know, the average person who thinks Nazi means bad person, just a bad, bad guy or whoever, yeah. is wrong. And here's where theory comes in. Because, well, she's like, yes. I mean, of course, Nazi is a terrible, <laughs> I mean, I've got to say right, that. Right, right, right. It's, it's complicated, right. Because, it's a nuanced point because... You know, Zizek talks about this idea of, uh, you know, Heinrich Himmler and Goebbels. The, the, these guys planned, they, they, they architected the Holocaust. And at night, they were listening to Waldner and Beethoven and, yeah, and they were having dinner parties. Music. And, 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 yeah, they, you, you know, know, they were living their a typical bourgeois life, you know. And, and you'd think, oh, look at these sophisticated, posh people. Ha, ha, and they're very educated. How could they be Nazis? But that that is in fact why I love uh, again Hannah Arendt. I keep I know I keep yeah, going yeah. on about her, but she is my one of my favorite political philosophers. It's that there are these structural uh, there are these structures that can give rise to fascism, which I think is what Vosch is more concerned about. And of course, he's got his own you know personal proclivities mm -hmm. to hate conservatives. That's a different story. But I think he yes. has, and it's not even and structure. I think his persona hates conservatives. I don't even I don't believe he does personally i think he plays a, the role of someone who hates conservatives but he certainly doesn't i bet if a conservative he met on the street he would not treat them the way that he would treat a kkk member he met on the street so i think that's a persona that he's playing and putting forward but that's a separate issue we could go into that probably now, you, you have a point i mean i've been having this thought about uh, peterson ever since he joined daily wire to be honest that he's now becoming this you know call it up conservative guy different to what he was when yeah. he, you know, prior to his fame, let's say. Certainly. Yeah. Well, so, so, uh, because there's multiple doors open, we could go down. Yeah, I know, um, I know, I know. It's, it's just, look, man, this is, as I said, this was not supposed to be like a structured thing. Free yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was, there was, I'm trying to remember because there was one thing I wanted to say in particular, banality of evil. Um, okay. So the point about the average person thinks fascist equals bad, but that doesn't, is necessarily true. So here is where, and, and this, it's, it's, 
life is full of paradoxes and every awesome. day i'm realizing I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that life is a paradox in and of itself it's a, it's a point every- uh, zizek makes he makes the uh, yeah. he says in this book the only universal is conflict the only yes okay perfect okay perfect yeah yeah because so is it true that nazi equals bad person they're more or less synonyms well from a pragmatist perspective uh yeah it's like saying is it is it, is it true that satan equals bad yeah colloquial it's like yeah it's like well is satan bad it's like yes satan is bad you know that's how everyone uses it something says this is a satanic act you know that's bad yeah. but like satan was an angel right and there's this whole complicated like thing of like well there's a hit people are embodied people act in the in, in the in the day-to-day world and what something whether or not a whether or not a statement is true is dependent on the behavior that it uh corresponds to so like and this is the whole the, and the reason i said it's a whole paradox thing is like because pragmatism is all about truth as a function of utility and so if people are using language in a certain way then it is true that then that then it's true in that sense but like the whole nazi is bad thing it's like nazis equal bad yes but you could you have the capacity to be a Nazi. So just saying it's bad people is wrong, or that bad is something outside of you and that mm. you're not capable of partaking yourself, that's wrong. And my goal and the way I approach this channel, you know, and again, this is of course a comedy channel. So I, I say this as a joke, but the root of all comedy is truth. Mm. Um like sometimes certain discussions, it's just nerd shit. That's what I call it. So like, for, so for example, this is my favorite example I give. If someone's, is it an objective fact that, um, you know, I'm wearing a, a black hoodie? Is that an objective fact? Well, to every person who is not ingrained in philosophy, the answer is duh. Yes. <laughs> what, right and and you even asking that question now i'm suspicious of you as a person because what kind of game are you trying to play right? yeah what, what's funny is man when you said nerd shit and the moment you asked me that i was in my head i was like well it depends what well so this is the thing so I, the so the answer exactly I'm well those and nerds, that's nerds that like philosophy and i'm in the nerd sh- that's what i'm saying i am in the nerd shit as well because you could just as easily point out and say well colors technically do not exist in the exterior world Right, colors are the, qualia. the experience qualia. Right, the experience of seeing, you know, it's like the whole "your blue is my red" classic mm. thought experiment. And like, and black is the bad example. We should use green. So I've got slithers of Catan over there. So that's green. For people who are red green colorblind, it, it's actually it's like that's a very practical example of like no 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 that actually isn't just green in and of itself. Or I don't actually know if they only see green or red or whatever how it works. But theoretically, if you couldn't see the color. It's not, it's not an, is it an objective fact that that's green, even if there's people who do, literally don't perceive it? It gets complicated. So there's nuance, but now, but then, but, but like if, if the nuance forces you to say that it's not an objective fact that this is the color red, it's like you're, you're speaking in a way that doesn't, that, you know, most people just don't, can't get, can't even understand or get behind, right? And so the whole, when I was saying like Nazi, you know, Nazi equals bad person, fashion equals bad person. I was sort of approaching it from that perspective where it's like, yes, I'm aware there's nuance here, but the conversation that I'm trying to have is one that we can start with like 
whatever our definition of bad is, we're going to come to an agreement that Nazis are bad, or at least doing Nazi things are bad. Nazi activity is bad activity, right? Whether they're bad people, it gets nuanced. But doing things that Nazis do is the same as doing bad things. And it's not that it's, it's not as simple as that. But because, again, Vosh has a big audience, and when you get to the mass media perspective, I would say the simpler nuance, the simpler way of thinking about things is actually the more relevant way of thinking about things because that's how most people interpret it. Again, you know, what is most of his audience, probably like 15, 16 year olds, you know, they probably don't know the, the, you know, not that I know anything, but like they don't, they're not approaching these issues from a philosophically interesting, like, okay, how can we separate? It's just like, you know, I, the, the conservative kid at my school who's bullying me is an asshole. And so this guy reinforces my perspective. And you could switch that around to the conservative side where, oh, Certainly. these liberal pretentious assholes are, you know, and now this conservative guy is telling me why all my liberal pretentious friends are assholes. So I like it, right? That's the, that's the plane that is more relevant because if society collapses, it will be at that level of analysis. It will be at that level of conversation that failed that will cause society to fall apart. It's not... Well, we didn't properly articulate the differences between the objective reality and subjective reality. It's Nazis bad, communists bad, and we need to be able to, for, for people like me, whose fundamental goal is I'm trying to avoid the end of the world. That's one of my many fundamental goals. Like, right. Let's prevent society. Especially from, uh, right. for, for a comedian, it's a laudable goal. For a comedian. Exactly. Yes. Right. And I'm doing it through, and, 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 and to that point, it's kind of like, I need to, the theory is correct. And I, and this is like conversations you and I are having are sort of, you know, my bread and butter. And that, that's what I live for that. I want to engage at this level. But when it comes to how do I go from this abstract conversation to how do I communicate this to someone who, you know, has to work all day to support a family and doesn't have time for all the stuff that I'm fortunate enough that I have time to dig into these books and all that stuff. Right. And that's, the approach I take on things for what it's worth. So that whole thing is a, I don't know. I, we encompassed a lot there. No, 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 I know that was perfect. I, I think this is exactly what I was trying to get from you, Paul, as in sure. not in like a, a manipulative way, but I was trying sure. to clarity for, yes. for clarity's sake, because I think I, I get it now. You see, I'm going to be totally upfront with you here. Uh, this is my, my, the goal of my channel is not, I don't care about saving the world. I don't care about even doing, I care about doing good, of course, like to a certain extent as a Christian, why not? But yeah. but it's, I'm purely interested in theory. Like I want, I want to move my channel towards philosophy and theory and then my other love, which is computer science. So so now, but but I can see, and correct me if I'm wrong here, please. Your goal isn't pure, purely to talk about uh, Jack Derrida's uh, Differons or, or Episteme and then yeah. go on. Like, or even Jordan Peterson's. About that. Right. I, I, like I will do heavy theory videos, right? That are like, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm pulling from directly from a George Lakoff yeah. cognitive neuroscience lecture. So yeah. I do do that. But all of that is in the context of utility. Like I'm, 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 I'm pulling all this theory for the purpose of making a moral prescription maybe. Okay. Right? Okay, or at least even if that's not if that, if I don't explicitly make that claim, which in those videos I often do, but sometimes I won't. But like, there is an element of it always comes back to how does this, why is this relevant, right? Versus sort of the it sounds like correct me if I'm wrong, you have a, sort of an aesthetic appreciation of the ideas and the theory themselves. That there's just some it's like art where it's like there's something in and of itself that speaks to you. Correct. And, and, I'm and not a pragmatist. Certainly, 
What's that? I'm not a pragmatist. I don't do things for pragmatic. Sure. I do, right, right, right. You put it perfectly. Aesthetic appreciation. Like I love and, and I, yeah. And I, and again, going back to paradoxes, like I'm not saying that, that I don't have that. That's not like, I love uh, movies and I love like, like uh, Star Wars universe and, and fantasy type worlds and stuff like that. And obviously there's a huge aesthetic component of that. Certainly. But, but the way, but for me, the, the aesthetics are also a function of utility in some sense where it's like, like I take the evolutionary perspective where, you know, you like you see a sunset, right? And we know from like a scientific perspective that the, the, a, a sunset in particular evokes a certain emotional response um, that like fosters cohesion and stuff. It like puts you in like a, a like a med- like a relaxed state of peace. And it, it's a, in, you know, you can re- be a reductivist and say visual stimuli, emotional state. And so the aesthetic is a serving a very functional purpose, but I kind of turn around the head where it's like, it's not like, it's not like the aesthetic is still fundamental where it's like this emotional response is not just like, Oh, it's just for survival. It's like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's putting yourself in contact with the metaphysical foundation of reality, right? What does that sunset represent or what is that sunset? You know, I'm, I'm, and I'm, thinking i'm oh i'm falling apart here because it gets so complicated i mean yeah yeah yeah. but 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 uh, but but for me because i've i feel like i've always been more on the how does this relate to the thing in front i hated philosophy um up until about for freshman sophomore year of college in part because i had friends who studied philosophy who were just intellectual masturbators? Who would just string oh, together? I'm one of those. I totally. Admit. Well, no, you're not because you know. Well, at least at least you're not to the degree that okay. Okay. some of them were because it was more, it was literally like um, poetry, where I would say something like, "What is it to be in relationship to the object of our desire, and that the metaphysical reality of this that?" And it was like it wasn't that you were saying anything it was the it was the act of putting together these complicated words in with some rhythm and some poet and like you know and that can be interesting from like a you know poetry without explicitly saying anything is still interesting but that's all that's all that it was like it wasn't helpful like like philosophy wasn't when i first encountered it in the way that i encountered it it wasn't being used to elucidate anything it wasn't being used to improve your life it was just here are all these abstract concepts. And I remember saying to my friend, like, it is such a privileged, arrogant thing to be able to sit back and say, what is the relationship between me and my consciousness and the objects around me? It's like, dude, there are people starving. There's, there's shit we have to do. This is a waste of time. And, and now the reason I'm interested in philosophy is because in order to be able to, to do those things, you know, people are starving. Let's go address that. There's shit to do. You have to like. You have to get to. You have to do philosophy to put yourself in the best position to be able to solve problems. So that's where I'm coming from, and you, you know, it's a blend of both. But it sounds like you maybe are also on the like. There's just something about the aesthetics of it, of you know, be like being with a capital B. I remember first understanding that phrase was like, oh, that's cool. Like you know, independent of this didn't help me solve a problem or anything, but like, oh, oh, being with a capital B is. Re, there's reality as it manifests in front of me, but then there's reality as I experience it. And there's, you know, that, that that's an important distinction, but like, 
some there's something about that distinction that speaks to you that that's aesthetic i guess to some degree and so i value that as as well but yeah, yeah lot, because you know there. in a way paul and forgive me if this comes the wrong way you're kind of trying to do an impossible thing because it would be unfair to say oh all you uh, like if 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 someone says uh, pf young your channel is a self-help channel i mean that's bizarre it's not a self-help channel no it, it's not just because you you talk about you in fact do talk about metaphysics and theory you talk about archetype psychology all of that and that is very much i believe grounded in your aesthetic appreciation of these concepts though yes you also try and build a bridge i don't know if that's a proper word but you try and see how that can uh, have a material impact on the world um mm-hmm. and i think all philosophers do that for instance again one of my, my hero zizek he'll take hegel's metaphysics and, or, or, or or hegel's lack of metaphysics different conversation and then lacan's uh you know psychoanalysis and then he takes a Marxist perspective and he connects them and he he finds a synthesis into the real world where there's political action and, and whatnot. So, and and, and that's that's where uh, maybe now we could connect this back to the the fascism bit where sure. I kind of want to, maybe I want to make it like an episode in this, in this uh, conversation so that I can kind of, you know, uh, have it as like one, one flow, yep. uh, let's yep. say. Um, it, it, it's that, so Zizek was asked in, in one interview, What's the purpose of philosophy? Uh, and he said, oh, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, but but generally, uh, philosophy comes to salience in times of crisis because philosophy isn't about giving solutions. It's, in fact, learning even how to formulate the questions. It's not even about giving the answers. It's about, it's about figuring, out, figuring out what questions to ask in the first place. That's, I like that. Yeah. You know, and I, and I certainly at a very pragmatic level, I agree with him there. Like I, I think philosophy isn't even about going and finding solutions that can be done in different disciplines, like like science, of course, or economics. There are many other disciplines where we could focus on on, on, on solutions, on palpable material solutions. But that is not philosophy, you know, and I think philosophy is the questions, which is why perhaps we could connect that to the uh, the fascism part where. Okay, so uh, there are there are two two thinkers here. There's there's Hannah Arendt, and then there's uh, I keep forgetting the guy's name. Uh, Umberto Eco. Umberto Eco. His list. So when when Wash Wash calls uh, Peterson a fascist, uh, here he is. Is it okay if you go there now to to like kind of yeah yeah a bit yeah yeah. Um, so just for the viewers, I'll put up. The list on the screen uh but i'll i'll first read it out um you could even sh- if you it's up to you you could share it with me now so we're both looking at it but that's good idea. Also, yeah but that's, that's you know good. if you don't want to have us be minimized it's up no to that's you. a good idea uh we could both, both then refer to the same point that could yeah. work the problem with being a nerd is man i've got multiple screens and uh <laughs> all right yeah i'm doing you see like a bar life. the app spot yeah so let me zoom in yeah. So this is from Open Culture. I just found his list, but you could find it like on Wikipedia, wherever. Um, sure, sure, sure. And we could probably discuss this. And then if if it's okay with you, there's also a, a, a small excerpt from uh, Hannah Arendt's book that I'd like to read out. Yeah. So definitely. this is the list, in fact, that Bosch was referring to. And I think this is a pretty good list to define a fascist from a theoretical perspective. Um, so uh, there are 14 points here. Uh, I'm just going to firstly go through 
read out all 14, uh, the cult of tradition, the rejection of modernism, um, modernism, sorry, the cult of action for action's sake, disagreement in treason, fear of difference, appeal to social frustration, the obsession with the plot, the enemy is both strong and weak, pacifism is trafficking with the enemy, contempt for the weak, everybody is educated to become a hero, uh, what's that word? Machismo? Machismo and weaponry, uh, selective populism, Air fascism speaks newspeak. So it's like an Orwellian thing, newspeak. Uh, mm. So firstly, Paul, let me just ask you up front. From this, these 14 points, if you were to give the uh, devilish deal, let's say, in this case, the devilish mm. Bush, <laughs> Bush uh, would you say, is there, is there a connection you can make to, to any of Peterson's work, his persona, even his Twitter, whatever he does publicly, from these 14 points? Yes, yeah, so I was I was looking over this um, prior to this conversation, and what stood out to me is a lot of these points are not just the descriptions of fascism, but the description of tyranny in general mm. or authoritarianism. Right now, it's funny because uh, I think Vosch has claimed like Stalin was a fascist. Right. So that, that to, to my point, it's like everyone who's a Mao, Stalin, Nazis, fascism, what we normally think of as like kind of, you know, the Nazis equal fascist, fascist is like a right wing thing. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of thinkers that would say that fascism is a right wing phenomenon. Um, I think Marcuse, that's like his central idea. His list, his yes. Uh, Adorno's list. Yeah, it's a right wing phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. It's inherently right wing. Um, which means Stalin was right wing, even though he called himself a communist. So we get we immediately get into the realm of depending on how you define fat if fascism just means like you said, CCP is fascist. It's like, well, they're communist, but I get your point. If if we're gonna define fascism in the way of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um like cult of tradition. One only has to look at the syllabus of every fascist movement to find major traditionalist thinkers. The Nazi Gnosis was nourished by traditionalist, syncreticist, occult elements. So it's kind of like a matter of interpretation. And so is anyone who appreciates tradition at risk of, are they somewhat fascist? So if I, if I have a minor appreciation for tradition, if I get married and my wife takes my last name for no other reason than it's tradition, Okay, is that, so, am I am I semi-fascist in that regard? Uh, and I'm, I, I not, hope you know, not. Well, that, I, I hope that's not. Well, I, I don't know if, if that's what Bosch will say, given that we're talking. Uh, yeah. About, uh, you know his because well, he brought up the 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 the. the it, it's the reason we are having this conversation is because of him. So I'm going to refer to him. Yeah, quite a lot. Sure. Uh, but well, here's where I I think of Peterson as falling into some. Maybe let's take the cult of tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So. Partially, from my understanding, uh, I, I haven't got much of an understanding uh, or like the details of this list by Umberto Eco, but Hannah Arendt certainly talks about this cult of tradition idea where she says, so, you know, uh, Peterson says the, the West is in crisis from the postmodern neo-Marxists mm. or, or from these radical leftists or from uh, woke people. The West is in crisis 
where uh, we are going through a downfall in, in our civilization. Um, and and the idea is, the, the cult tradition, the way I read it, is that we have all these crazy people that are creating havoc and chaos in society. We need to go back to something of more, more, more ordered, something more of a conservative way where there was hierarchy and structure where mm-hmm. men knew men knew what men were women knew what women were everybody had a place a role and for me that's fascist when the moment we pr- start prescribing on how individuals should should fit into a certain let, let's say we, we prescribe how people should live their lives within broader society and we we say uh you have a place so you know it's it's funny uh <laughs> Nietzsche, who's a proto-postmodernist, in fact, mm-hmm. believed in hierarchy. He said that everybody has a place. There are the, the masters and slaves. Yeah. Uh, there are some people. Ubermensch. That, that, yeah, Ubermensch, exactly. Some people fit in the hierarchy. Uh, and and, and which the, the irony there is, of course, that uh, he was a, a postmodernist. He didn't believe in any any objective morality. Uh, none of that. He, he, he didn't even, he, he believed that we should reject uh, tradition. But yeah, he called Christianity slave morality. Slave morality, exactly. And he he said he he believes that Christianity was the worst thing that happened to the West, uh, which I vehemently disagree with him on. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I, I'm I'm going all over the place here. The, the the idea of for me the cult of tradition is where to put it very very plainly, when people say, "Oh, the good old days," the good old days where you know where you know where there was monogamy, where there was you know, men and women got married where, you know, people all went to church. Uh, everybody knew their place in society. But now we live in this chaotic times. Firstly, I don't think the good old days existed ever. There's never been the good old days, in my opinion. I think in, in some sense, I'm here very much as a and where the only universal is, is conflict. Mm-hmm. Society is forever going through this antagonism, let's say. Uh, but when... Yeah, when, when Peterson does th- those kinds of prescriptions, I do think, I, I'm not going to, that's, for me, that's not fascism, but I think there are elements of fascism that can come through him saying people should find their place in society, if that makes well, sense. Well, so, okay, so that, we could have a whole interesting conversation on that point, I think, because I, so, I'm not sure what the difference between, you said, pers- like, you said prescribing people prescribing you know what people how people should live their life in a social hierarchy correct you know, is, uh, or, or perhaps, yeah perhaps where, prescribing their place in that society yeah that's probably a bit of it putting so it, yeah. okay so let me complicate that because i would say for example children obey their parents is that fascistic well to a certain extent i would say yes i mean this is where this is where things get a bit iffy and you know we Go on the nerd theory shit, um, right? Which is fine. I'm happy. Let's we're here for that. This is not yeah, yeah. Because not, this is like two hundred thousand people will not see this, so you know it's not about appealing to the masses. It's about no, not, just, not at all, man. Like I, I just want us to purely speak about theory today, if you don't mind. And sure. I know you well, love this stuff, so I don't, yeah. I don't feel guilty for doing so. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Okay, so to that point, to that point, yeah. You know, children obey their parents. Is you know, it's 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 at least in this regard, there's some element of fascist fascism to it. And it's like, okay, then this is where I'm, this is where, you know, equivocation aside, because we're not having a debate and it's not to a, a thing, then fascism isn't a bad thing, if that's the case. Or at least, like, or at least the lack of fascism is a bad thing. Because if, hmm. if, if, if 
children should obey their parents is fascistic. Like there's no society that's ever existed that isn't at least somewhat fascistic because every society, children obey their parents, you know, it differs what age and all that stuff. But, and in Christianity too, right? Christianity is like, there's a whole honor your mother and father type. Yeah, submission is a big part of Christianity, yes. Yeah, so I guess, how do you think about like, do you think fascist fascism is bad? And that's just, so this is, that's too simple of a question, obviously. But I guess, even if we're just talking about intellectually, you know, is fascism purely descriptive or, or is there some, you know, it's, it's, there's an implication that it's a negative thing, right? That's a, that's a good point. I would say intellectually, and here's where I'm, I'm very much going back into philosophy, it is purely descriptive. Whereas the, the prescriptive element, okay, I would say, okay, Hannah Arendt's different. She certainly makes moral claims in the book, like in, in, in Origins of Totalitarianism, she certainly makes moral claims. And and for good reason, given that she was a Jew in Germany uh, and she uh, was exiled uh, when the Nazis came into power. So she has a, she has a right to make moral claims, but as, as at an intellectual level, yeah. I, I would say, it, it has that kind of, here's where I think the descriptive element matters because uh, the descript, so a list like this theory, let's say, is in some sense, the canary in the coal mine. It, it's an harbinger of what's to come. It's a, it's a way of, of analyzing and making sense of reality via a, a, a theoretical framework. Therefore, uh, you know, if, if, for example, if I say, yes, uh, you know, forcing children to listen to their parents, even though, look, I'm not a, I'm not a, a father yet. I'd like to be one. Uh, I, I would certainly warn my kids to, to listen to me to a certain extent, you know, right. not, not all that much, but. Sure. I, Definitely I want, not I completely. To, yeah. If they're yeah, just mindless puppets, that's too. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, it, then it, you know, they, they kind of become like, Cucks, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. to use a technical term, you know, like you gotta, <laughs> yes. you gotta be technical to the theory. You gotta, you gotta be able to sometimes break the rules a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and I don't know. So if I could connect this to something a bit more tangible, let's say where we're getting uh, way, way too abstract here, and I apologize, it's my nature. I can't. No, no problem. Um, you know, Peterson always talks about clean your room, you know, personal responsibility. Look, look, look what burdens of the world you want to take upon and, and live in life. And and so it's it's it seems as if it seems as if from his rhetoric, there's very little uh let's say dialogue or conversation about in fact, no, not focusing on myself, not focusing on on what I can do within the structure of society, but what about changing the structure of society itself? What about challenging these hierarchies itself? Because for mm. me, that's essentially what leftism is. Left leftism is it's it's quite simple. It's it's simply wanting to uh, to challenge the existing social hierarchies, or to a certain extent, abolishing them, even sure. though that's perhaps so an impossible impossibility. Yes, I would say uh, likely an impossibility. Yeah, but... nonetheless, it's it's still challenge. It's this constant challenge of existing sure, structures sure. and Make, social hierarchies. Yeah, making hierarchies more equal or flattening them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, on that point in particular, well, first off, I would say uh, a thorough reading of Peterson. I don't. I think would. What's the word? I think would absolve not absolve i think would 
banish that idea that you just put forward from your head. Sure. Because one I, I would have yeah. Yeah, it's a Petersonian meme almost where his phrase is you need to do what's good for you, what's good for your family, what's good for the society, what's good for your community, what's good for society, right? That's that's the that's the I believe that's the highest form of Piagetian moral it's development. It's a caricature. Oh. No, 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 no. Um, P, P, the, the Piaget is concerned with moral development, right? Like first you play, first you can like play play with another child without having explicit rules. Mm. Then you can play a game with explicit rules, and then the final stage, the highest order of moral development for human beings, is being able to generate new rules to new games. And another, that's a consequence of that is human beings can act in ways that are good for themselves and also good for their families and also good for their communities and also and it just expands right there's and and the the fundamental petersonian claim is like your brain is wired to tell you when you're doing that when you are most deeply meaningfully engaged with something whether it's pursuing art or you know, creating some code that's useful or, do, or doing whatever when you're develop when you're developing yourself to the point where you can become the kind of person that's as good for yourself and society as you can be, you're adapted to that. Mm. And so the whole idea of like, hey, the reason that you pursue personal responsibility, the reason that you clean your room is so that you put yourself in the position to be able to make those broad social changes, right? Because you need politicians, you need people that do that, you know, that, you know, like he's a fan of Tolstoy and uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all that, right? It's like, that was clearly all social action, so you know, collective action. And again, and this is funny, your point about centrism. I don't know if we'll uh, have time to go over, you know, we could, we, I'm more than happy to do a separate thing just on centrism. That would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have, prepared an impossibility. For that, I have some theoretical reasons as to why I sure, think sure. centrism is impossible. Uh, but nonetheless, well, sorry to interrupt. Sure. You. Well, just to preview what my at least argument would be, or my perspective is, is that the best elements of leftism and the best elements of conservatism are encapsulated in centrism, and it's just a matter of adapting to the circumstance. So, for example, leftism, as you said, it's about equalizing hierarchies and addressing corrupt social structures. It's like mm -hmm. there you and Peterson's whole point is the whole reason there are people with personalities that we would describe as liberal is because that's a necessary function. You need people who can who when society is getting corrupt, which it always does because it always leads towards corruption. And, and the world is constantly changing, new technology is created, and the laws that you had in the past aren't going to apply, like, you know, with like AI, for example, we, that clearly needs to be regulated, right, or, or anything, the internet, you know, free, like free speech, like, you know, we still don't allow child abuse to be videotaped and distributed, like, that's not even a remotely contentious philosophical, well, for some people, it might be mm. a remotely philosophically contentious issue, but for most people, it's not, and rightfully so. And so, um, why did I even bring that up? So, so you need people on the on the left who can say, "Hey, these these traditions and these rules, if they, they can't just be, they have to be interpreted to the modern environment that we're in," and the the, the process of that interpretation is inherently left wing. What, what, what where, right? And then the conservative flip side would be like, "Hey, I know that you guys want to change all this shit." But we've been doing this shit for 2000 years, and it turns out that all of these changes um, didn't consider why we were doing things for 2000 years to begin with, right? Like um, a good example is 
like this, like the sexual revolution, you know, the, you know, in the Victorian times, people were super prude and repressed their sexuality and that was clearly unhealthy. Okay. So what was the flip side of that? The sexual revolution, the sixties and all that. Well, okay. You know, there's clear benefits to that. People are freer and, you know, it's not constrictive and, you know, people can in principle, you know, get compatibility with partners before they get married and stuff. There's all kinds of good reasons I think you can make. But what's the flip side of that? Well, you know how much sexual assault occurred at Woodstock? You know how much sexual assault occurred in the sexual liberation where, oh, we were just, we're just liberated. It's like, eh, consent was not nearly as emphasized during the sexual revolution. And it's funny because the current sort of left-wing perspective on, on um, like consent and all that is sort of doubling back to the conservative part where it's like, you need, you need, you know, it's very, you know, no room for, for you know, what is it? Uh, for messing around, you need, you need, you know, strict verbal consent on every, yeah, every move you make. Yeah, it's, it's pathetic. Yeah, yeah. I which, mean, I mean, which anyone is, who's been with a, well, because I'm straight, I'm going to be with a woman. I, mean, who, who, I don't think anyone's going to go and be like, before you make out with the girl, hey, could you sign this piece of paper? Yeah, exactly. Well, dude, there's black, there's black, there's a Black Mirror episode <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. like someone like, can you sign off all the consent forms of all the things we're about to do or whatever? It's like some That'd be great sex, mate. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all the, that's all the mystery. And <laughs> yeah, fun that's the foreplay. Risk. Signing yeah, yeah. consent forms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the whole point of that is to say, the left is needed half the time or for half of the problems and the conservatives are needed for the other half of the problems. And you have to adjudicate between both because the environment is shifting around you. And so I, I, I'm not, I don't buy the idea that Peterson is an anti-leftist in its most positive form. He's obviously anti-extreme leftist, just as he is extreme against extreme right-wing totalitarianism, right? I mean, his whole analysis of Nazi Germany and his whole thesis is like, this shit was bad and I'm trying to, you know, get everyone to understand how bad it was and how you could have easily played a part in bringing about that terrible situation and why it's important to understand that so that we don't bring that about. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's a follow-up question. Um, yeah. I, I think I mostly agree with what you said, but then, and forgive me for name dropping, but I've, I've got to do this cause I'm a nerd. Do it again. Uh, so, you know, if you ask someone like, uh, like, uh, like da da da. Let's say, uh, what do you mean by uh, okay? You ask from them, uh, is truth objective? P perhaps what da, da da would say is, you know, we gotta question the question itself. He'll speak about the episteme. Where can we even to even have that question? What structures do we have to ask that question? Like that's how da, da, da would yeah. pose that. Which is you know, funny. He, that's he exactly even what the Peterson. Question, the question, the question. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a clip of Peterson doing that exact thing. Where it's like, well, what do you mean by God? What do you mean by you? What do you mean by God? So that's funny because it's it's he does the same thing in some. And respect. I think it's you know you know in a certain to a certain extent I like that Peterson does that. Yes, yeah. I don't know what I mean. If by the God. devil is due. Yeah. yeah of no, course. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what? Yeah. What do you mean by God? It's it's a difficult. Yeah. It's it's perhaps the question what asking. Right. So right. Right. The the way I would connect that to this first point, the cut of tradition is. So you said. There are there are there are people in the left, pe people in the right, and we're trying to find the best of both worlds and kind of create this kind of synthesis, um, and and then maybe come to a higher truth or a better way of life, something beyond something. Yeah, let's even say morally better than what we have right now. But what if there can't be a synthesis? What if in fact there is this inherent conflict? Uh, 
between what right-wing people believe or left-wing left -wing people believe. So case in point is to connect it to the gender issue, uh, which you and Bosch went into deeply. What mm -hmm. if fundamentally the people in the left or, or people, let's say, in the, in the, in the far left or the woke movement uh, have a different idea of what gender is to conservatives like a person, I'm sorry to say this, but I, I'm going to say I fucking hate Matt Walsh. Uh, he mm. he really just angered me. He's a fascist. He's someone that I would describe as fascistic. Yeah, I mean, you saw his really old tweet about killing drug drug dealers. Like the, he he tweeted yeah. a beautiful airport in Singapore, and he was like, "We would have yeah. an airport like this, this if we killed we people who dealers. smoke weed or, or something." Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I think like for example, he would easily fit into most points on this list easily. We we wouldn't even sure. have to have this conversation. He calls himself a fascist. Theocratic fascist. So Yeah, exactly. And it's like, haha, it's a joke. It's like, yeah, well, root of all jokes is Yeah, true. I mean, correct, right? I mean, he's got a million followers. I don't think, you know, I disagree with that kind of cynical thing where people say, oh, everything's a joke. No, man. Sometimes the things you say, uh, recently, I don't know if you were familiar this, uh, oh, Bosch in fact covered this, but that 16-year-old uh, transgender girl, she was, she was murdered in high school. Yeah. Brianna, in England, right? In England. I mean, so no, no, no. Sometimes not everything is a joke. And sometimes no. you, what you're trying to do is very much warranted and needed where, yeah, you do try to take these theoretical concepts and co connect them to real life because there are real material impacts. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. No, no, no. The point I'm trying to make is, so my question is, what if there is that inherent conflict? What, what do we do there? Well, we first, well, fair enough. I think I'd say we first identify is that conflict because it's inherent or is the conflict because of breakdown of communication? So like well, you gave the example of, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I would, I would say uh, at a very conceptual level, it is just fundamentally inherent. So, uh, the, the, I mean, communication is a complicated topic, but like for, for yeah. example, if a, uh, let's say a leftist believes that gender is a, a a social phenomena. So you know, speaking about people like Judith Butler, it's it's performativity where where what gender is is a performance, or it's it's how we view yeah. ourselves in the gaze or the perspective of the other. That's society, let's say, right. for all intents and purposes. Whereas a person on the right would say, no, gender is it's it's rooted in something more innate, objective, be it biology or be it our, our hierarchies or be it our traditions. Gender isn't something that's malleable. It is something. Uh, well, you don't even have to say have to say binary, but it is something that you just can't decide for yourself. How do we find a? How do we reconcile these almost irreconcilable uh, assertions or proclamations? Yeah. Well. So my perspective is there's four. There are four different perspectives on every single issue, every single contention. There's four different perspectives. Yeah. There's the far right perspective, which is incorrect. The far left perspective, which is incorrect. Then there's the reasonable left and the reasonable right perspective. So like, as a side example, like abortion, the far right perspective is the moment of sperm fertilizes an egg, that's a human being. That's wrong. I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's unintuitive. It's, it's a silly position. The far left position is we can abort a child even after it's born. Okay, so those are the two extremes. That's the society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, what's the, what's the re, what's the correct left wing perspective? Um, the moment a sperm fertilizes an egg, it's not a human being. At some point, it does become a human being, but 
we have to allow abortion prior to some for some time after the sperm being fertilized or the egg being fertilized, right? So there's some perspective where abortion should be allowed. That's a reasonable left-wing perspective. And the reasonable right-wing perspective is at some point that sperm, that fertilized egg does become a human being and we need to not allow abortion for that. So the, 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 there's two far extremes, far right, far left. Those are wrong. And then the, and then the middle left and the middle right get synthesized. So I, 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 that's like a, and, and that's just one example. I believe that, I believe you can take that approach on every single issue, immigration, abortion. And, and you can even in a weird way, to, you know, break it down to like, if you have a personal disagreement with someone, like if you're in a relationship and there's some argument, you can use that map in the same way. It obviously doesn't apply because it's not like a political ideology, but every belief there's too far of one, you know, it's like the golden middle, right? Aristotelian mean, is that what it is? Right, there's mm-hmm. always, it'll way to evaluate any moral issue right so i don't actually so the the you're you're put you're saying if it was the case that there's a fundamental irreconcilable difference between broadly the left or the right on a particular issue how do we go about doing that i would challenge i would say i don't believe reality is set up such that that actually exists i believe okay. that the so we have ideological differences. Okay. Yes, I, I don't think I think it, I think to the degree that something appears to be an irreconcilable difference, and it's like, you know, t- to your point, like to your credit, like we are in a very polarized state right now, which would very easily lead everyone to believe, of course, there's irreconcilable differences. Duh. But I would say that fundamentally, I think, is a breakdown of communication, and and the gender example, I think, is a good example because, like, gender and sex. I, I, I conceptualize it different. Gender is socially constructed and sex is biological, male and female, and then masculine and feminine. Now, man and woman is just whatever, dude. If you, if, sometimes I'll refer to it biologically. And if I'm talking to a trans person, maybe I'll you know, refer to them as a, whatever. It's just, it's, 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 that's not a big enough deal to, to, to die on a hill of how many use the words in this way. But certainly masculine and feminine, socially constructed spectrum. Male and female is a binary. There's intersex, but for all intents and purposes, it's a binary, right? So the irreconcilable difference, I think, is, a, is just a, if we could get all the conservatives to agree, like, hey, you know how, like, Chuck Norris is a man and, uh, you know, who's a fucking super skinny kind of, you know, you know how uh, Mick Jagger is a man, you know how, exactly. like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know how like they're both men, but Mick Jagger's a little bit, you know, more kind of flamboyant and Suddenly, like, feminine. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck Norris is like, you know, this kind of classic masculine type, whatever. Yeah. We can recognize that there's a there, there's a spectrum in there, right? And it's and it's influenced by, you know, how they're raised and their culture and all that. Okay. Boom. Masculinity and gender is a social construct, right? Okay. Sex is ma- so that we that the conser- the, the centrist job is to get conservatives to recognize that. Okay. And then to, to the leftists or the far left or whatever, say, hey, male and female, there's some variation, but like every possible male and female are fundamental biological categories that are, that are older than, uh, you know, like billion, you know, billions, hundreds of millions of years old. Like plants have gametes, right? Plants have pollen and other like male and female are fundamental categories. And there's a lot of differences between males and females that are clearly biological and not socially constructed. And 
our socially constructed roles do have some correlate, like masculinity correlates to maleness, right? Like, a, like you know, um, why are, why, you know, if we're talking about gender roles, why are most of the physical labor jobs all men? Well, because males on average are stronger. So the, social, so the socialized role of masculine being physical labor, physical, clearly has something to do with being male, but there's women who are strong as well. So there's no reason to have that social distinction be binary, even though the underlying biology that the social distinction is related to is binary, right? There's, there's room to expand things. And also with technology, we decouple social roles from biology. So like as a male, I, I've, I've never hunted, right? And if the world, all electricity went out tomorrow, I would starve. Um, I am not, I'm not, uh, what, what would you say? The, the, male, the traditional male role of like hunting and all that shit is not, is not something I engage in because technology has decoupled the need for me to be a hunter versus I can go to the grocery store and I can you know, do other things, right? So like clearly there's a social aspect and the more technology we have and the more society changes, the more we can differentiate the gender role from the underlying biology, right? Like the birth control pill, mm. right? Like, you know, women... It, was, it would be much more difficult for women to travel the world in the ancient times because, you know, there was no birth control and no tampons and no any, and like, you know, any of that stuff. And it's like, I'm not a woman, but I bet if I asked most, most women, hey, if all tampons and birth control and all of that went away tomorrow, would that make your life more difficult in virtually every way? Like, yes, it would. And so, you know, you just think like that's, that was the norm for 2000 years and you know, it made, it's like, okay, that's why women weren't, you know, for, we're not leading armies as often aside from not being able to fight, but it's like, you're, you're just weighed down by this biological burden that women have that technology has been able to alleviate in a lot of ways. So anyway, that's a whole roundabout way of saying, I don't believe that was one example of where I don't think there is an irreconcilable difference. And I ontologically disagree that there are such things as irreconcilable um, positions. Now there are people who are irre like there are people who are so far gone on either side that they're that they are irreconcilable. And also like psychopathy exists. Yeah, um, we are talking so, about ontology. Yeah, we're talking at a yeah. I I see that. Yeah, I think you know this is why because like for me ontologically I'm completely on the opposite side where I think essentially reality is a conflict. Uh, you know, and this is mm -hmm. where I'm I'm even a Christian here where. There's a brokenness of reality. It's as if something went terribly wrong. You know, in, in Christianity, we call it the fall. But right. there's this, so for me, which is why I think, in fact, there's a Lacanian point. Truth is found in the conflict itself. And I don't think the, the conflict mm -hmm. is ever reconciled, which is why here's where I'm sure you'd, you'd agree, agree with me on this. I am a strong believer in a dialogue and conversation, even if conversation can be heated and it can get ugly, I still believe we ought to converse at all times. And I'm a free speech absolute, absolutist. Um, so, so okay. Uh, I think we kind of touched on the point a, a, a lot more than we should have, but I, I, I see that. I see that. Um, yeah. Here's, here's the other thing I was thinking. Let's probably go, if you don't mind, Paul, to point number five. Sure. Fear of difference. The first appeal of a fascist or prematurely fascist movements is an appeal against the intruders. Thus, Erb fascism is racist by definition. I believe that's how you pronounce Erb fascism. Sure, fascism. Whatever, this, this word, yeah. 
You see uh, yeah, whatever it is. Um, so this is again, we, uh, it's I don't, I don't mean to connect everything to the trans issue, but I feel like it's something that's just it, see, yeah, it, it's a cultural it's, touch point. It's, it's easy a cultural to, touch point, and therefore it's just like an easy thing to point to. There certainly, mm-hmm. are, you know, is society is fundamentally currently in a point of change. We have all these new ways of being. We have new ways of people expressing their their gender, their sexuality. And I would say Peterson, for me at least, seems like he's touching into, uh, or, or at least he himself, which is quite ironic given that he is such an open person who, who, you know, focuses on philosophy and ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a, he has this kind of, I, I would probably, I wouldn't even call it like a, a spite or a hateful thing. It's not, I'm not trying to moralize it or put put any kind sure. of moral baggage, but he, he has this fear of difference of what's happening in the uh, the the trans movement uh and and and, and case in point is uh i think a few months ago uh kyle kalensky again a person i really like i, I watch yeah, yeah. him all the time secular sure. talk uh yeah. interviewed peterson and asked him would you would you ban uh trans uh oh a conversion surgery uh even for adults yeah and for adults yeah but yeah, adults. And I, personally, for me, I would say unequivocally, no, I wouldn't. If you're yeah, me adult, too. Me uh, too. just you know, do what do what you want to do. Uh, right. Uh, you know. Um, but he said, "Oh, I've got to think about it," because he was. And here's where I think he was trying to play. You know, daddy who's telling society how to be. You know, like you should live this way, which is yes. which is which is fine. Like I mean, we look. I I think he's got. Uh, I I believe this sincerely. I think he's trying to do what's right. He's got mm-hmm. good at least to at least. To, to 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 the extent that one can have good intent, he he does have good intent. Um, and so, do you think he he unfortunately uh, falls into this point here where he does have this kind of fear of difference, where the trans thing isn't just merely about free speech. It it is something beyond that to this idea of breaking down binaries. Let's say. Yeah. Well, this um, and maybe in just FYI, maybe this is the last point we can wrap up on and then because there's there's when we're done on the, when we're done this conversation i want to ask you something after we're done recording Absolutely, mate. Yeah, but sure. this yeah maybe this is we can we can end here and, and have a sure, sure, sure. point for another one um th- this goes back to the point about again i feel like this can be used to describe basically anything that is bad where like fear of difference that's a human universal doesn't matter fascism or otherwise that's like tribalism these people are different from me. Different equals potential, but also danger. I don't know if that's uh, true, though. When you say it's a human universal, sorry to interrupt mm, you, because sure. I would say I am very much enamored by difference. Like my my whole life is well, about looking into difference. Like I constantly look into what's novel, what's new. You know, I, I in fact get aesthetic pleasure from it. So sure, but that but. You know, it's 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 a re- it's relative difference, right? So, for example, if I'm comparing two cars, you know, uh, a pickup truck and a Lamborghini, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a, there's a lot of difference there, but they're both cars. And if I'm comparing two different cultures, a lot of difference there, but we're both we have some common understanding. If you, you know, like a psychopath who literally sees the world differently from you, mm. you know, it's like okay. how much I, difference I are you? Point. I see. You know what I'm saying? Like it, the difference. It's a very to practical a certain, point. I see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and, and, and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, like we love, we love to travel precisely because, and it's interesting because like, 
it's, I think it's the opposite. We love to travel not because we like to experience different cultures, but because in the experience of the difference, we recognize our commonality, right? That wherever I go, people still love each other and, you know, they, they eat and share meals and all that stuff. And, and it's kind of that the, the, by exploring the differences, we have a deeper appreciation for our commonality. But if we truly went somewhere where it was different, like we're like, no, children are abused for fun and ritual here. There's a reason you'd be afraid of that, right? Mm. Um, so fear of difference, you know, I think, again, I think that's inherent and it, it's the, like the, it's like, is, and, but again, Peterson's whole thing is no difference is where opportunity lies, right? Like you have to, you know, get out like the whole Abraham story, get out of your dad's tent, get out of your dad's basement and go out into the world because chaos, you know, slay the dragon to get the gold. You have to confront difference and fear and the, you have to confront confront the unknown to bring about order you have to make order out of the unknown because if you're just in order all the time you have nothing to you just become stagnant yeah so the fear of difference you know but again i I, like i also think well is 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 the far left you know the 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 super gender ideologues are they not also fear of difference from their orthodoxy right perhaps yeah yeah a conservative christian or a conservative muslim or something like wouldn't they be Wait a second. This person has a very rigid uh, appreciation for these traditions that we hold to be bad. So they would just, you know, their fear would be just as much as anyone else's, right? That's why I'm saying it's a, a kind of universal. So you're trying, to, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, I have a few points about difference, yeah, yeah. but I think we're we're short on time. And you said you've got a question sure. to ask from me, but before you do ask that question, Paul, could I, uh, uh, could I just request? I, I really want to read the excerpt out of the Please do. Uh, Hannah Arendt book because it's connected to a lot of the points here. It's connect, connected to yeah, point yeah. number 10. Um, so do you want to first ask me the question and then I'll read well, it? I, so I want to ask you something after sure. we record or after the recording's over when we're done. It's just, oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. a logistical question unrelated to the topic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, uh, there are there are a few other... Look, I'm, I'm not certainly saying from my point of view that Peterson perfectly aligns to all 14 of these points. That would be bizarre and insane. I'm just looking at a few points here and trying to view his work via this framework. And a big thing, here's, okay, this is going to be a difficult thing to articulate, but I'm going to try my best. So bear with me, Paul. Uh, A big thing for him, which I was initially quite enamored by this idea of strength. I've always appreciated strength, the appreciated competence and this kind of being the best version of yourself to use like a, mm-hmm. a terrible cliche cliche term uh, and the, the importance of uh, putting yourself together and, and, and trying to, in some sense, be, be a god, you know, just like aspire towards this highest ideal. And in, in, in many ways, he himself is very much enamored by the strongman persona. He loves people like Jocko or people like um, even Joe Rogan. Um, Joe Rogan, yeah. Joe Rogan's a complicated case, but... Sure, we're all complicated. Yeah, yeah aren't we? Uh, aren't we all? Uh, so the point Hannah Arendt makes, though, is Peterson, and in his book, Maps of Meaning, he, he I, I recall, I read it a few years ago, he says the, the cause for uh, totalitarianism or fascism just to keep it within context, is apathy, indifference, this feeling of, uh, oh, I don't care. I'm not going to carry the world's burden and do something about it. 
But funny enough, though, Hannah Arendt makes the complete opposite point. And, and she says, no, in fact, indifference by itself isn't a reason for fascism or apathy by itself. So people just minding their own business, let's say, not caring about what's going on in the world, isn't a reason for fascism. But it's co- quite the contrary, the, the opposite, where it's people who think that they have to be this great person, this this strong man, this this hero who carries the burden of the world and, and lives this like Nietzschean life. Uh, those are the people that end up becoming fascists. And so this, uh, just for this conversation, I, I, I had, I read this a while back, but I had to like, I, I was, I, I did highlight the point so I could find it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is the penguin, the, the, the penguin modern classics version. So page hundred, uh, sorry, page 410 uh, from Hannah Arendt's The Origins of Totalitarianism. Great book. I recommend it. I recommend everyone should read it. It's it's a it's a very easy read too. Like she's a really good writer. So I'm not going to read page 410 though. Whew. It is page 410. Yeah, easy, I told you long, but I'm I'm, I'm into this nerdy shit. You know that, right? That's fair, that's <laughs> you fair, probably fair. already figured that out. Right, right, uh, right, right. That's fair. But but here's so I'm not going to read the whole page. That's, that'll take way too long. But there are two excerpts. The first is uh, she states this is about what leads to uh, totalitarianism. Um, now, this is in the context of post-World War II. Indifference to public affairs, neutrality on political issues are in themselves no sufficient cause for the rise of totalitarian movements. So that, that's the point I made before. Indifference yep. isn't particularly a bad thing. And right. then she goes on to explain that... It, but the problem, though, is, in fact, when she calls it the bourgeoisie society, the, the bourgeois society... When they start feeling some of the things enumerated in this list, things like the fear of difference, things like, uh, where's the other one? Uh, not contempt for the weak, sorry. Uh, selective populism, where the, the, the majority of people are feeling threatened by these minorities. Like it could be the LGBTQ folks or you know migrants or whoever. I don't think most people in the West are afraid of migrants. Uh, I, I would let's just focus on uh, the LGBTQ, uh, that, that group. So. And then she says the bourgeois feel threatened by them to their way of life, to their traditions. And therefore, what happens is they they look for this strong man, this, this failure. And then he, she states, sorry, not this failure, this uh this this person who's gonna um kind of embody all the the burdens of the public and do something about it, like a, let's say even like a Trumpian figure. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These bur- these bourgeois attitudes are very useful for those forms of dictatorship. So the attitudes she talks about is kind of what I des- described: this feeling of, oh, what's going on? We're living in uncertain times. Our way of life is being challenged. It's being uh, destroyed by these outsiders, by the other. These bourgeois attitudes are very useful for these forms of, di- of dictatorship, in which, and here's the important point: a strong man takes upon himself the troublesome responsibility for the conduct of public affairs. They are positive hindrance to totalitarian movements, which can tolerate bourgeois individualism no more than any kind of individualism. So the the, the point she's trying to make is that the, the latter bit didn't really matter, but the point, point, point she's trying to make is when the strong man feels the kind of burden of society and is it plays his heroic role, almost you know, messianic role, to 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 save people, 
that is what leads to this cult personality and she goes on to like mob rule and whatnot and gives rise to a fascist like like a hitler or like mm-hmm. a mussolini or uh like a matt walsh sometimes um so anyway just that that's the point i'm trying to make here because he does emphasize a lot on the importance of strength and the strong man and greatness mm-hmm. do you think that i'm not saying there's a direct correlation but it's a there's this like fine line where it could either inadvertently, let's say, lead to fascistic tendencies in society as a whole. In Peterson's work or in Walsh? Uh, oh no, no, not not. I don't I don't care about Walsh. I I, I in fact think he's just Peterson's work. Show, uh, Peterson's work. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree here. Yeah. Um. So, and this is such an interesting topic because it gets into the archetypal structure of the human mind. Mm. Where I believe, and I think it is the case, that to be human means you ha- you have within you a predisposal to respond to certain, what would you call it, uh, uh, certain symbols and words and psychological content in a in a certain way you are predisposed to respond to certain psychological content in a certain way and the example of that would be exactly your point about strength why 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 are why is it the case that all human beings would be wired for to to admire strength inherently well from an evolutionary perspective the obvious reason would be you need strong people to keep you from getting eaten by you know werewolves and all that shit or not werewolves but you know yeah well well Predators, metaphorically werewolves Predators. and all that dragon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no, but hold on just 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 interrupt, mate. i think i didn't make myself clear hannah so, Ar- yeah go ahead i make a naturalist naturalistic claim sorry i can't talk today uh i'm getting very uh kind of excited about this topic because this is something i've mm. thought about a lot it's more sure. she's she's in fact making a very marxist point here where she's she's despite she's not a Marxist, uh, she's saying it's the bourgeois society. So that's essentially most of us uh, yep. who kind of have this individualistic way of life. They do they do things how they do things, yep. uh, and then when that way of life feels threatened, so it's not all human beings feel threatened by different. Sure, a certain okay kind of people, which is let's say the majority. I'm not, yes. I'm not saying that's the case, but just for all the intents and purposes, that when the majority feels threatened. A strong man comes into power, and there's this occult personality. Sure. Yes. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And I, so the, I would tie that into what I said. So there's there's that universal element. There's the archetypal element where to be human means you are wired to respond to certain, you know, uh, content or behaviors or symbols. And I would say, and so recognizing that, so when it comes to well, what happens when the middle class, what happens when my way of life gets threatened, you know, it's like um. If you know, if we could talk about this, like it's like the school shootings, right? You know how many, like in America, people view it as this epidemic. Wow, these, you know, like in Uvalde and, and Newtown and, and all these different places, it's like, yeah, that's bad. You know, obviously, I don't feel any, you know, unless you're a psychopath, you disagree. But you have to remember, like, that happens every day in Chicago and every day in these inner cities. You know how many kids are shot. And people are shot every day and we don't hear about it. But as soon as 
the massacre occurs at a place that looks like where I would have gone to school, now it's a significant issue. And to me, that, I don't know, that when you were describing what Hannah Arndt was saying, that evokes that kind of idea where, oh, now my school is getting shot up. That's not supposed to happen. Everything else, that's, that you know, that just, I don't think about that. But when, now it's in my, the bourgeoisie kind of perspective. And yeah, it's like, so, you know, in some sense, I just agree straight up. You know, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, because it is, it is the people who have to live day to day and don't concern themselves with, that's, the, the shootings are their way of life. So there's no tension that catalyzes some broader movement because that's just how they're in on the day to day. But yeah, when when it's the bourgeoisie, so to speak, that gets yeah, the privileged yeah. perspective that gets threatened. I can see because that. in many ways, what what kind of saddens me is I think unfortunately Peterson's work has now just become a way to just justify the status quo. It's it's become a way to justify the typical bourgeois way of life, which as a leftist, and again, I'm I'm biased here because I come from a left wing point of view. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. full on a leftist. Uh, but even that, like, because you're not fully a leftist, at least not in my definition, because you don't, you know, if you don't buy into what I would regard as stereotypically leftist, like children, like KKK is, you know, the conservatives are KKK and children. I don't know your perspective on children being allowed to transition. I'm very uh, much um, it. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I mean, I am more on your side with that. Um, right. I, I, and that's a function of just the medical yeah. literature. That's almost not even a philosophical. Exactly. Yeah, it's whether a, or not, what is the empirical speaking, data I say? Think, yeah. Look, mate, like I, I when I was, I interrupted kid, you, I interrupted you. No, 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 that, that's, that's totally fine. But I'm just to on your point. Like when I was yeah. a kid, I didn't even know, you know, if, if, I don't even know if I was real, you know, like it, it was probably my whole uh, other traumatic, uh, different thing. Sure. I need to psychoanalyze myself, but sure, therefore sure, it, sure. one should be, yeah, I think I'm more on the idea of uh, over there, perhaps I'm a bit more conservative when it comes to children. Sure. Uh, but, but especially when it comes to economics, you know, I, I believe, I strongly believe in unions. You know, I think most, uh, most things should be public and, and, you know, anyway, e- economically speaking, I'm, I'm certainly a leftist. Uh, and and my problem though is that's where that's why I was I was really keen to read out this this excerpt from Hannah Arendt's book because what she says is these fe- these people who feel threatened aren't aren't she she doesn't say everyone feels threatened she's very specific to to put it to because she's a social social philosopher to a to a certain group of people which is a majority the, the bourgeois the bourgeoisie for the bourgeois way of life and and. And here's where I mean I get very very uh, kind of iffy. You know, um, I would consider myself an anti-capitalist, uh, uh, even though I see capitalism has has, has its merits too. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, like when Peterson says, you know, you you go and do your thing. You know, like focus on your life, be be, be great, uh, you know, build your business. But at, 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 but here, you know, at one point though, I think we should all go back to good old Christianity and be like, no, Ed, sometimes you, you know you shouldn't go and do your thing, even though your life is in shambles. You should probably go and be live a life of service and yeah, Christ did. You know, you know, may, maybe live live via Christian metaphysics. And I, yeah, I, I don't know if you saw my critique of Jordan Peterson. Uh, uh, it's called Rest in Peace, or We Need to Rescue Jordan Peterson from the Belly of the Whale. Oh, I, I, I watched that. Yes, the yeah. yeah my whole point was uh, like, hey. 
I don't know if I mentioned it in that one, but I mentioned I it somewhere that. where I was good. Yeah, it's like, hey, there's Peterson's really fallen into this. Like, I'm a dirt, I'm an evil capitalist, and I don't apologize about it. It's like, okay, well, that's a problem because there's problems with capitalism. And like, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do a video on Eric Weinstein's Marxism, is what I'm gonna call it, something like that, Ooh. where Eric Weinstein has some very salient critiques of capitalism that are, you know, map on to Marxism and not derived from Marxism per se. But it's like, so when you say you're anti-capitalist, I'm like, I completely, I w- maybe I wouldn't go so far as to use that term, but I'm certainly sympathetic to whatever you, for the same uh, reasons. I, that I would call, I would consider myself a post-capitalist. I think we live in post Sure, that's fair. I, yes. We, we have surplus value and we need to figure out how to, yep. how to make society more. Yeah, and especially with AI coming, it's like, yeah, man, yeah. last and, thing and, we need is more innovation. We need to figure out how to get this fixed yeah yeah and you know the reason and again you know here i'm very traditional the reason i am that is because i'm a christian i believe in the teachings of christ uh, that we in fact should base a society not that uh, not a society that's transactional but rather a society that's undergirded by love um and here i'm very much a christian so and, and that's where i'm i'm wondering and i look paula i may be being a bit unfair you know with you here because you certainly uh are true to what you proclaim and you do criticize Peterson like in that video when you you see he's wrong but in some sense by being kind of an apologist for Peterson I I wonder if if you kind of miss out on that that idea of oh he's just defending the status quo now like you know he Mm -hmm. he's critical of virtually everything he's critical of Greta Thunberg's uh you know climate climate change book he's critical of any any yep. kind of leftist movement that tries to make society a bit more egalitarian well, it seems like and maybe would, this happens since he joined Daily Wire I don't know but I maybe think that's great yeah. that's doing I more would, harm than good sure I would push back on some of those I don't think he's critical of every leftist movement because again he, enough, he, he enough, made, I think he makes in my opinion the best intellectual philosophical case for why the left needs to exist right like his case for why we need liberals is compelling even to conservatives i think um going back to that point about you need the left to be able to update the current structures to new environments yeah 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 so but to your point in my apologia for jordan peterson i may be missing the degree to which he validates the status quo Certainly possible. I mean, I know I'm biased. So I'm first oh, off, so I know I'm, I'm yeah. I know I'm dumb, so I'm missing things off that regard. And I know I'm biased, so I'm missing things on a whole nother. Yeah. 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 So the the idea of I'm missing things for sure. The I don't that point about I may be defending the status or you know could be defending the status quo too much. I would kind of push back and say the status quo needs to be defended to some degree. Status quo does not mean mm-hmm. bad per se. Even though, like, when we use that phrase, like, you're just defending the status quo, the obvious implication is that that's not a good thing. And the simple interpretation of why that is the case is, well, the status quo was, you know, slavery was a thing, and then Black people were being discriminated against, and then the status quo was women weren't getting it, right? So when people say the status quo, they're usually referring to the moral failings of our current society. But if if, if the status quo just means, like, you know, the current state, right, or I don't know what actually the Latin, you know, you know, whatever that means, but like, you could very easily say like, well, the status quo includes like the first amendment. Like we have mm. free speech, that's the status quo. So that needs to be defended, right? So it's, a, so 
it's, it's a it's, it's a back yeah. and forth in, in that no regard. i think i think you know i know kyle our mutual friend he's a he's, he's very much a fan of uh john vakey and here's where again kyle uh, maxwell um, yeah kyle maxwell yeah um you've had you've had him on a couple of times yeah 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 definitely in fact yes. i found you via his uh okay that's right yes i was trying to remember how how yeah we came in contact yeah yeah, yeah. and and like, i know kyle's a huge fan of uh john vakey um, Vakey, yes. Vakey. And so Vakey has this idea of dialogos, which is I certainly I fall on that camp too. But there's like there has to be this constant to and fro. But Vivekey, mm-hmm. because he comes from like a kind of like a holistic perspective, he's like, oh, we we all have a conversation. Is he's you know, it's like we all sing Kumbaya and it comes to like this higher truth. And I personally am more of I'm a, a Nasi Jikian where I think it's this truth is found not in a higher truth itself. It's found in the conflict itself, and the conflict is ongoing. It'll never end. It, yes, this is like a sure, the, sure. So, like the the Hegel's idea, a lot of people mischaracterize Hegel, and I'm not saying I understand Hegel because I absolutely don't. But they say, oh, there's this, a thesis, a, a thesis, antithesis, and there's a synthesis, a higher a sublation. Yep. Hegel doesn't say that. Hegel says, in fact, it's a co- co- ongoing thing where spirit unravels, where it's this. It, there's a thesis antithesis and there's a synthesis and there's another thesis antithesis synthesis so it's it's, it's as if and it kind of relates to what you're saying too because the left and right have to be in conversation or sometimes conflict hopefully without too much bloodshed or or violence that in fact that's reality itself it's just that it's not some higher outcome and and okay i'm I'm going off on a rant here and and kind of nutting out on hegel but one thing I think we can all agree is that point you made that we're all equally ignorant or as Vosh said in your debate, he said that most people are retards, but no, he's Some right. man is retarded. Yeah, yeah but he's yeah. right. But he's right. But he didn't go fine. Well, I, the way he implied it, I don't think was right. But the point, the the charitable interpretation of that point. Yes, we're all dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Zizek, Zizek makes a really good point. He says. I'm not saying that there are these smart intellectuals and then there are these common people who are stupid. He's saying everyone's stupid. Even the intellectuals yes. are stupid. That's yes. what, and I agree yeah. with him. I agree with him. And, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, look, mate, uh, I feel like we've been a bit over the time. I hope you don't have anything. Two else hours out? No, no problem. I've got no other Perfect. obligations today um, that are. Super, but I, I think we, we did touch on, I don't know. Personally for me, I, I wasn't planning to go through the whole list because that would be, I think, a waste of time. Uh, but I think we did, I don't know if you made, I wouldn't even call it progress, but we did clarify some some points pertaining to fascist semantics from my uh, point of view. But before sure. I, you know, before I put words in your mouth, is there anything else that you want to elucidate or clarify? Not just regarding to the fascism bit, but even... Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I just, the most interesting... Debate. Yeah. yeah, well, on the, on the debate, you know, I think I, what I said at the beginning, I think stands, I'm, you know, but there's other stuff I might think, but in this conversation in particular, I was, again, you being a Vosh fan and you being a self-described, you know, pretty hard leftist or certainly economically and all that. And I'm, I would actually like economically, I'm pretty far. I don't do that many videos about economics. Um, but I think that'll, I might dip my toe into that to some degree. Um, and I'm, I'm so I certainly feel you there, but it was just interesting, like, I, prior to this, the last time we talked, I would not have characterized you as, or I would not have guessed that you were a, like a big Vosh fan or, or anything like that. Um, and I, and it just, it just reaffirms my belief of like, 
the attitude I went into that debate with of I'm going to speak to the best of Vosh, which in part is like I'm trying to speak to the good faith people who, li- who listen to him because they clearly are. Right. If he was if he was as bad as people say he is, people like you, I don't think would be fans of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and I've, like I said, I have a friend of mine who's a fan of his and there's just no chance I'm just going to. Yeah, this, you know, he's a bad person because he likes bad people. Um, so th- that was so I enjoyed this. Yeah, this, it was it was just it was interesting to elucidate that out. And I'm 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 reaffirmed in my belief that, you know, I could have done things better. But so the, I think the attitude that I went in was the right attitude. And so I appreciate it. Yeah, but we could, you know, turn the table, so to speak, and be, mm. oh, Vosh's fans would see you, who who I think you were, you 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 were kind of like a, a great interlocutor for for Vosh, let's say, where suddenly you were coming from the the point of view you you were in a difficult place because you had to defend Peterson. It's always harder to defend a stance than to critique and and sure. find fault with a with a person mm. or an a especially stand. when Peterson tweets so goddamn much and he says Co- so many stupid things, right? Which... Correct. Yeah, and he's like he's everywhere, and he's like, he's he's in fact a chaotic guy. Like he's all yeah. over the oh, place. Yeah. He goes on he all these podcasts, yeah. so it's it's yeah. not easy to do that. But then I I would say like for me personally because I knew you prior to the Avosh debate, I knew you were a, a good bloke. But now, so called radical leftist or whoever that's on Avosh's side that think all uh, Peterson bros uh, are these like, I don't know, white supremacists. Bad faith, faith morons. Yeah, Yeah. idiots. Would probably have the same, um, let's say, I don't know, revelation or or same kind of thoughts about Peterson's fans the way you did about Bush's fans. And I'm I'm glad that there was that. Yeah, I got probably a dozen or so comments saying, Yeah, hey, I'm a Vosh fan, but I really appreciated the conversation, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's good. That's a win as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul. I really appreciated this. Uh, as you, I said, man, I think you're a, you're a great bloke. And, and congrats on all the uh, success you're having with your channel. Recently hit 3,000 subscribers. Man. Yes. yes. I, I reckon you're going yeah. to be at 5K, 10K in no time. Uh, uh. Yes, we'll see. We'll see what kind of risks and responsibilities that opens up. So, uh, But, you know, I'm that's, on the bear. That's the point, yeah. The res- res- yeah. responsibilities is a... Is a is certainly that comes along with great power, as they say in mm-hmm. Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, that great philosopher. Um, I haven't watched your video on the postmodern neo-Marxist, the recent one. I think you'd like that one. I, w- I probably would, especially being a theory nerd. I'd, I'd take a look at mm-hmm. that. But uh, yeah. not it's very, uh, uh, it's, it's very, it's theory presented through the, the it's, it's theory presented through the lens of, this is nerd shit, but we need to talk about it type stuff. Yeah, so it matters, I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at that. It does. I mean, it does. It does. That's case it just in has point to be communicated there, right? in... It comes from the real world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's communicated in a way that's not your traditional. Oh, this is how we talk about theory. Well, you yeah, are a comedian. Comedy. Often. You are a comedian. Exactly. That's why. That's why. That's why I put it in there. All of this is jokes. It's just everything. Life is a joke. You know. Life is it's a joke. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the was right. It's all absurd. Yeah. So. All right, mate. Thanks. I think I'm gonna. Stop recording now and yep, uh, that works. Carry on. Yeah. I'll cut it on my end.